welcome to Life Lessons in 35mm, a podcast that delves into the life lessons from the silver screen. School might have taught us about history, sciences and maths, but John McLean taught us about how to be cool. Neo taught us the value of free will and the responsibility in making our own choices. Back to the Future taught us our future hasn't been written yet. Our future is whatever we make it. And Pretty Woman taught us that you should never judge a book by its cover. We'll talk about all sorts. Love, family, heroes. Storytelling, friendship, dogs. <laughs> Wait, dogs? Yeah, yeah. There's an episode about dogs. I figured that people sometimes might want something a little more light-hearted. And besides, who doesn't love dogs, right? No, that's fair. So, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for joining us. Okay, so we're into episode two um, of our podcast, and this week uh, we are talking about American Beauty. But before we get into it, how are you, Andrew? Oh, fantastic. How are you? A little bit. You know what? It's a bit cold here in um, New Zealand. Um, what was it like over where you're at? Well, it is supposed to be summer here, and we have had a pretty summer weekend um, in the UK. Um, today, a little less so, but it's quite warm, quite warm. It's like It's weird, though, because... We live, live in like a parallel universe. Whenever we speak, it's it's like morning for me, night for you, or vice versa. Summer for me, winter for you. But it's, it's a bit it's a bit weird. It takes some getting used to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When when you're sleeping, um, I'm just messaging you all the time, <laughs> never getting a response. <laughs> you're my only friend, Nick. Yeah, same, <laughs> you, same. You you knew when you took this job on, it was a twenty four hour thing. <laughs> I should, yeah, I should, I should, I should adjust my body clock, shouldn't I? So that we're awake at the same times, sleep at the same times. Uh, so, you know, I just need to become nocturnal, basically, don't I? Absolutely. So, 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 we're going to be talking about American beauty this episode. Bound to be the best episode, because it's my choice, my, my film. I thought the, the, the <laughs> her, her podcast, that was, that was amazing. Our first podcast, I thought it was quite good. How, what, what, how did you think it went? It was it was good, wasn't it? It was interesting. We talked for we talked for a lot longer than I thought we would about really interesting things, and I think we all learned a lot. This is obviously a plug for that episode. If you've not listened to it, listen to it as well. Oh yeah, we did. We learned we learned so much. We learned so much about life, about love, <laughs> about, about, all about sorts. each other, <laughs> about each other. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So obviously. Um, yeah, like you said, this was your choice, and, a, and an excellent choice it is, American Beauty. Um, so give us a little um, intro to your take on the film and, and a little bit about it and what we're going to be talking about. I'll give you the rundown. The rundown. Do it. Okay. Do it. So um, American Beauty, released in 1999, um, directed by Sam Mendes, written by Alan Ball. Alan Ball of, um, he, he did True Blood, but, but he also did Six Feet Under. Did you ever watch Six Feet Under? I did, yeah. That's a great show. I'd, I'd kind of forgotten he wrote that. Um, that's that's a really good show. Yeah, it's really, really good. And I feel like it's in the similar family to this as well. There's, um, you know, so, so my advice, if you like American Beauty, get yourself into Six Feet Under. There's um, quite a few series of it and it's HBO, so you, you know it's good value. Yeah, I'd second that. So, um, so um, run time, 122 minutes. Um, a very, very tight 122. i t- tell you a little, little fact, Nicholas Long. Go for it. It was meant to be longer than that. Really? How long was it supposed to be? Was it supposed to be a tight 100 and, 141? <laughs> or, you know, what, what were we aiming for? 
do not mock me, Nicholas Long. <laughs> you may be in the UK, but I will come and, and find you. Um, no, it, it was the, 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 the plot of the film was slightly different. Um, there was meant to be a scene at the end um, that would have a trial component to it. Um, okay. Uh, just just a quick over, overview of the plot. So um, American Beauty is a film about uh, the, the main protagonist is Lester Burnham. Um, played by Kevin Spacey. Um, he lives with his um, wife, Carolyn Burnham, and his daughter, Jane. And um, Lester is, you know, so so done with life. Um, his marriage is not the best. Um, his, his, his job is, is awful. And this is a story about him basically taking ownership of his life again thinking about what he wants in life pursuing it and then finding out that maybe that's not what he, what he wanted or what he needed um so do, do, so this this film it was made for 15 million nicholas long that's not that's not 15 much. million yeah how many films can you say were made for 15 million and guess how much it made i don't know you're the stat man today um you're oh, i don't know 15 million budget I'll, I'll say it made about 275 million at box office you'll be wrong oh. you will be wrong nicholas long i'm not surprised go on put me out of my misery how much did it make made 356.3 million oh i was i was um, gonna go over 300 and i thought i thought no i'll just go just go under it ah oh. listen go with your instincts be brave you've yeah, got to be brave Be brave. <laughs> <laughs> gonna be in it to win it yeah <laughs> so um yeah, it obviously was was a success, and and part of its success were, success was the fact that um, it, it was it won quite a few awards. So um, the Oscars, it won Best Picture, Best Actor in a Leading Role for Kevin Spacey, Best Director for Sam Mendes, Best Writing for Alan Ball, and Best Cinematography for um, Conrad L. Hall. Not familiar with his work. No, I have to say, to be fair. Um, <laughs> Fair play to Sam Mendes. Debut feature film, wasn't it, that you directed, I believe? I'm pretty sure he was... Th- it was, yeah. Yeah, theatre director before that. But yeah, fair play. Yeah, and he, he's had some decent films. Like, um, I, I heard someone say, say like, you know, he he had, a, like, an average um, career. But, I mean, Road to Petition, Jarhead, um, Skyfall, Spectre, um, the, the James Bond films, Revolutionary Road, I, I quite enjoyed that. Um, so, uh, and, um, 1917 as well, more, more recently. Yeah. He's done all right, hasn't he? He's done okay. Yeah. He's, he's, um, he can direct any of my, my films, um, <laughs> when I write one. <laughs> um, I've got, I've got a couple in the can. Screenplays coming out your ears. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a writer. Um, so, um, what were you, what was your general thoughts? Cause it's nice to, um, look back and, and, for me, I, I I must have watched this all all the way back in probably around the, the year two thousand. To be fair, um, because whenever anyone asks me, "Hey, Andrew, what's your favorite film?" I always go with um, Gladiator, Pulp Fiction, and American Beauty, which which really dates me. It does. It does date you, but I will say. Those are those are pretty good choices. I think that's still that's still a fairly strong three. Um, yeah, I, I have to say, um, 
So I, I, I did watch American Beauty maybe three and a half, four years ago. But before that, I probably hadn't watched it since I had it on VHS, I guess, back in the early 2000s. Um, Whoa. I know, I know. Yeah, so that's dating. It was actually one of my first DVDs. Was it? I, see, I don't think, I'm pretty sure I never owned it on DVD. It was a VHS, then straight to Blu-ray. So, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think my first DVD was um, Men in Black 2. I, I, I'm not quite. Why classic. did I buy that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was peer, like it was it was a bit of pressure you know you, you get your dvd um player and you're like oh god i can't wait to, to watch something and yeah everyone loved a bit of will smith back then <laughs> they did didn't they but yes yeah, so i haven't watched um i've watched american beauty more recently than you by the sounds of it but before that hadn't been uh watched for quite a long time although i will say i have always liked it wouldn't necessarily be in my one of my favorites but i do i do really enjoy um, I enjoy the performances. I think it's. I think it's quite. It makes me laugh. I think it's got a good, good character arts, good performances, well written, well directed. So yeah, I, I do like it quite a lot. It's. A, it's a. I think it's a really and also, really good choice for talk, for a discussion today. So you know, it's, it's to interesting you. that you said. Thank you, sir. <laughs> it's interesting that you said that it makes you laugh because um, again, when Sam Mendes um, wrote it, he he wrote it with the idea of it being. Um, a comedy a black comedy um and there's definitely satirical humor in in there um you, you know like even down to the casting you know you, you've got a fully white cast um living in a you know the whitest neighborhood um living the the the, the american dream um and 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 yeah, like it's. I, I I still feel like it's got a lot to tell us and a lot to teach us, um, even twenty years on. Yeah, th- yeah. There's a point you raise about the cast. Actually, yeah, I suppose being an all white cast is very representative of like middle class suburban America, isn't it? So, yeah, maybe that's trying. Maybe they're trying to say something in itself with that, with that, with the casting. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it does. I think there is some some really funny moments in there, and I think the comedy lands pretty well, and it is. It's quite subtle. It's not. I don't think it's supposed to be a, like a laugh out loud film. But there's there's definitely some moments that 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 strike a chord and make me laugh. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I think that that's a compliment to the writing. Though I think it is a well written um, film. And I think. Did you say Alan Ball won? Did he win best screenplay or was he nominated or something for it? I can't remember. Yeah, um, yeah, he won um, best writing screen screenplay. Well, there you Good go. man. Well done, Alan Ball. Good man. Um, but yeah, and I suppose also it's worth saying when we're thinking about the cast, um, obviously Kevin Spacey in the lead role, we probably should just say a couple of things. Um, first off, obviously he's been in the news more recently for issues with um, his behaviour towards younger people. And I think at this point we'll just say we'll acknowledge that and put it to one side because I, while we can't ignore it, I don't think we're the best people to kind of talk about it and bring that into the discussion. So maybe we'll just park that for now and we'll just talk about just the film. Does that make sense? 100%. And, and to be fair, this is not um, a political um, podcast. It's not um, current events. It is a film podcast. And, um, you know, w- we try to do our best by um, analyzing these films. Um, but it's it's, you know, we're not, qualified to be talking about anything um like that no i think um, yeah that's, so let's just yeah well said let's well let's said. just see it um as, as a film as it was and um yeah just um get get into it and, and it's 
it's a little bit frustrating because it, I think it's a really good film. And obviously, as I say, his behavior and what's got to be going on in, in the news, I feel like it could put a lot of people off of watching it. Um, but I, I think it's not one to be missed. I mean, it's still in IMDb's um, like top. I think it's like number 70 something in um IMDb's like top 250 list really? um like with a, a a score of like 8.3 so um yes it's it still stacks up well i think um so go out and watch it yeah. <laughs> I feel like i'm selling the film yeah well you know <laughs> sell the podcast sell the film no i'd agree with that i think yeah you if you can if you can if you can remove yourself or you can remove the film from all the things that we've learned about kevin spacey since definitely worth a watch this one if you haven't seen it already and i suppose it's also worth saying at this point if you haven't seen it already go watch it and come back because there will be spoilers in this podcast we do we will be covering be things lots of happens. spoilers yeah exactly and nick loves a spoiler who doesn't love a spoiler hey <laughs> let's face it you can't you can't do you can't do a podcast or a discussion about films without doing spoilers you have to yeah it's true nick nick often goes around just whispering details of films into people's ears he's been arrested in the um oxfordshire area of the uk a couple of times and that's why he's moved to exeter where were you from <laughs> <laughs> i will say none of that's true uh <laughs> But it makes for a nice story, doesn't it? Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> anyway, enough about me okay, spoiling it's... enough about me spoiling films for people. Let's spoil this film for the two people that listen to this. Uh my mum and, and yours, I guess. So I think it'd be nice to start with a, a quote. Um I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read it because um that would be terrible. This is a, at the start of the film, and I think it just establishes the scene quite well. So, here we go. My name is Lester Burnham. This is my neighborhood. This is my street. This is my life. I'm 42 years old. In less than a year, I'll be dead. Of course... I don't know that yet. And in a way, I'm dead already. So um, it establishes a scene quite well there. Um, We're living in suburbia, America, in the 90s. I think this was a zenith of um, kind of mascot commercialization um and capitalism from the united states um i think this was at a time where where their economy was just like in a boom stage and yeah i guess what what we think of the suburbs i think there's been a few films that have come out as being very critical of this kind of life um one of which um sam mendes actually did himself um have you seen revolution revolutionary road no, I do you know what that's one that I has always kind of passed me by. I'm aware of it, and I know it's supposed to be really good, but I've never actually watched it. So I need to I need to sort that out, don't I? You, you certainly do. Yeah, I, I, do. I think Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes hates the suburbs. <laughs> he hates them. <laughs> he just there's nothing that drives him mental more than the suburbs. He just can't <laughs> just can't stand them. 
if you ever see like um a man just driving around a suburb in America, it's probably Sam Mendes <laughs> just muttering under his breath, driving it, driving around, shaking his fist at the houses. <laughs> oh, you! <laughs> but but yeah, it certainly sets um up this stage for the film where you've got the the main protagonist Lester. He's living a life where, quite frankly, he f- he feels like he's dead already. And um, he's going through probably um, that middle midlife crisis that a lot of people go through, where they they follow all the steps to to the American dream, um, or, or or certainly the American dream that has been sold to them, and I guess partly to us as well, even as British British folk, um, which is you know, um, get a job, find a girl, settle down, buy the house, and have a child. Um, he's he's achieved all of these mind milestones, and yet he's empty inside. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, a lot of um, a lot of like films about, I suppose, just about kind of general life. Often, the people in them or the characters that we follow are kind of striving to achieve these different milestones you talk about. You know, they're either looking for love or they're it's a pursuit of some sort of career dream or something like that. But yeah, it's kind of interesting that we meet him at the point where he's already achieved all of those things. Like you said, he's almost like ticked every box that the that society sets up as having the American dream, if you like, in inverted commas. And he's kind of ticked all the boxes and we meet him at the point where he's done all of those things and he's almost cycled back round to being unsatisfied and empty. So it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of an unusual but interesting place to start with a character. It is, um, but I will tell you this, Nicholas Song. Um, it was a film at the time when I watched it in 1999, which I really connected with for a different reason. Um, I believed the film to be about non-conformity, about living life on your own terms, personal sovereignty, and becoming free from the the man, as it were. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so a younger me, a younger me was like um, saw saw Lester Burnham as as a bit of a hero. Um, I mean, if if you think about the, the film, so um, he 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 gets to a point where he meets Ricky, Ricky Fitz. Ricky Fitz um, takes him out to a car park, smokes a joint with him, and teaches him probably his first lesson, which is um, not to give a fuck about what other people think or um, you know take control of of your life. When he himself basically tells his his boss because um, he's I think working at a, a dinner um, for a corporate event, um, he, he tells him, "I don't need your job, stuff it." And yeah. Lester gets behind this and he gets a bit excited. <laughs> next day, next day, he rocks into to, to work and um, and quits his job. Um, he, he blackmails the, the company for severance pay. He, he then goes on a bit of a journey. He, he, um, he reasserts himself as having power within the family d- dynamic. Sets, sets to work about, reestablishes his um, value values of when he was a young man um, and goes after a girl who he thinks is the most beautiful in the world. So that that's my view of it when I was a, a, a what a 20, 20 year old man. <laughs> I, I, I re, from rewatching this, I do see it a little bit differently and I, I do read um, Lester a little bit differently as well. For me it's more of the anti-hero um, that 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 he is. Um so you could look at it from all those positive things of what he does and he does those things it's great and everything um but equally 
he chose to marry his wife, Carolyn. At this point, Carolyn's a bit much. <laughs> we, we, we could probably all, all say that. She's got her own problems and everything. But he's the one who chose to marry her. He's the one who's not connecting with her and being facetious around her and not trying. He's, he's not the best father. Um, no, I, I think, I think he, he we can all agree on that, can't we? <laughs> absolutely. I mean, he, he doesn't listen to Jane. It's, it's actually all about him. He's um, a very selfish person. He recklessly abandons his job. Because, <laughs> I mean, um, as a 20-year-old, I was kind of uh, more, probably more, a little bit more um, left-leaning, as you probably are at that, that stage of your life, because you haven't got anything. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but but when, when I think about it, he recklessly abandons his job with only one year's um, severance pay. How long is that going to last? Especially, especially if he's going to go and buy his fancy sports car he's always wanted, right? Exactly. <laughs> he, is, he rocks he is, out. He's burning through that severance pay in no time. He is burning through it. So I think he gets like 60 grand worth of um, severance pay. He, he started sp- um, smoking weed, but it's, it's not in a very economical way, I've got to say. So I did a bit of research. Of I went deep did. on this. <laughs> of course went you a did. Bit deeper. Well, <laughs> I, I just... I thought to myself, I, I'm not. I'm not a smoker of um, the um, wacky backy um, and Mary Jane. The um, <laughs> I don't know what you call it. Um, I, I think you've just made it fairly, fairly obvious with the way you described it there that you're not. <laughs> and you'll notice I didn't chip in to correct you because I don't really understand it either. So, so um, as you don't know anything about it, I'll um, I'll give you a little bit of information. So. Um, he he buys from Ricky some weed for about $2,000. He says $2,000 and he goes, oh, that's a lot more expensive than, than when I was a boy. Well, I would I would suggest that's a lot more expensive than now. <laughs> um, so I did some research. First of all, what I wanted to do was to convert what $2,000 is worth in today's money because that's important to get an idea of how much he spent on this weed. So it would be $3,178. So that's what we've got in our kitty to buy some weed. Um, <laughs> second of all, how much is an ounce? How much is that going to last us? Um, one ounce, uh, depending on how much you smoke. I mean, he was he seemed like he was burning through it. Um, he smoked quite one, a lot, didn't he? Like a daily he thing. He did. It seemed like, have a little workout, Absolutely. smoke some weed. Yeah. Well, he's got nothing else to do. He's just he's making on. smoothies and smoking weed pretty much. Don't forget, um, he is sitting in, the, he's sitting in the living room playing with a remote control car as well. So, uh, true, true, true. busy days, busy yeah. days. He's keeping himself active. He's keeping his mind working. <laughs> so, um, I, actually, I, I spoke. I, I live in Queenstown in New Zealand, um, which is notorious for um, being quite a. How to say this? People, people like the weed. They like the weed in Queenstown, and um, over lockdown, we were over lockdown. Obviously, people were in enforced kind of situations, um, and they were getting paid money from the government. People were saying like they were just going to like smoking weed like from morning to to evening. <laughs> so, uh, I, he's probably going to be quite similar to that, I think. Um, so anyway, he's he's a heavy um, um, consumer of weed. Let's let's just presume. Um, but even if he wasn't, apparently one ounce is about a month, a month's worth of weed. Okay, so it's three thousand one hundred seventy-eight dollars. He's going to be paying um, spending on weed per month. Um, I, I looked into it. A high-grade ounce 
would be about 326 in the States, on average, depending on, on which state you're at. So um, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm livid. <laughs> he's massively overpaid, doesn't he, really? First, I have Absolutely. to say, um, fair play for doing this research. I, I didn't realise this was going to be... I didn't realise this was going to be an education for me about the... <laughs> about, You've got to be ready for anything. About, <laughs> yeah. You've got to be ready for anything. When, when, I, when I'm taking um, the, the podcast, you've, um, you've, you've got to be ready for everything and um, ready to chip in. So um, what's your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are I could probably financially plan my, my descent into marijuana abuse, which is good. So you've given me a bit of a back, you've given me a bit of a platform there. So at least I know what yep. I'm working with. Um, but yeah, well, fair play, for, fair play for the research. Um, but I think, yeah, I have to say like a lot of the stuff that you've said, I think I, 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 I probably felt fairly similar about it when I first watched the film as well. And I imagine now, obviously at, at the stage where, where it came out, we would have been late teens early 20s when we first watched it whatever and i can yeah. kind of i can understand why we will have seen lester as a hero because it's kind of like you said it's like this 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 sort of representation of like anti-conformity like you know stick your middle finger up to the to the man if you like and it's like he's kind of breaking free of the i suppose what you'd call like the chains or the shackles that are keeping him like in this existence that he sort of says he might as well be dead already but and, and i think and it's quite easy to see why you might have viewed it in that way because i'm sure i probably did as well but actually i think and you'll go on to talk about this he's just a bit of a prick isn't he <laughs> a lot of the time <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and it's the fact that he's pursuing a minor as well yeah i, I mean we... I, I don't know how old she is in in the film um but she's you know he probably shouldn't be sniffing around that. Well, we've um, we've we mentioned earlier that we're we've we've obviously touched on Kevin Spacey's behaviour in real life, so there's a little bit of a, a little bit of an uncomfortable parallel. Yeah. Um, so again, we'll just put a pin in that, move it to one side, and say we're not best place to talk about that. But yeah, I, you have to assume right in the film, if she's meant to be in high school, let's assume best case scenario she's like finally in high school so at, at the bare, at oldest she's 18 and he already says he's 42 that's that's probably already an inappropriate age gap even if she is 18 but she could be anywhere between i guess 16 to 18 you know yeah but yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it's just like aged really poorly it's, do you know what i mean or i i guess like when we were younger we didn't see it as such a big problem um well, I think I think there. I think you're right. You, you've mentioned there that it's probably about when it was made. If, if you think about this, was made this. It came out in '99, so it, let's assume it was made '98, '99. That's when it was actually. That's when the film. That's when it was filmed. It was probably written even earlier than that. And I suppose back then, like, like in terms of like so, like in terms of like society and, and our social like kind of norms, if you like, they've changed quite a lot in that period of time. They've changed drastically. You know, think about. Um, the representation in women has changed. In, in the representation of women in film has changed an awful lot. There's been every, there's been um, the, you know things like the Me Too movement, all that kind of stuff. I think nowadays that storyline of him almost you don't necessarily actively pursues, but he does. He he, he sets out to impress, um, you know, a as well. A, a very very young woman i'm not sure that would fly these days i don't think that would probably I mean, make he, it into a mainstream picture in the in the same way in the way that it does here but like you said i think when you look back now you think yeah he, even just for that alone you 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 can't see him as a hero so you're probably right, like anti-hero might be the best 
thing but i think ultimately he's just like the protagonist isn't he of the film but yeah i can i think i kind of i can completely see why you and me and probably a load of other people of that age would have seen him in that way because it's like you know you know like you said like a big middle finger to the man breaking away from the conformity of society etc but actually he's just really selfish being really really selfish absolutely so um his ascent to re-establish control of his life, I think, is um, ultimately good. Um, he, he is doing that. He, he is going out. He's, he's, he's obviously working out. He's um, got a, a renewed purpose in life. Um, but it's not like he's particularly trying to re um, Kind of, he sees himself in a, in a new light. He's, he's trying to become like a better version of himself, let's say. But it's not like this is translating to him wanting to re-establish um, connection with his relationships in his life. You know, his his um, relationship with his wife is probably getting worse. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Um, it's it's not um, getting him any closer to his relationship with Jane. Is it, is it Jane, his daughter? Yeah, yeah, Jane's his daughter. And and, and really, he's just living this kind of. Uh, midlife crisis i mean if if you were to to look at it it does feel like a, a midlife crisis where he's like playing all like kind of a rock music or, of um his his um formative years he he goes back to to work for um smile mrs mrs smiley's or something yeah something um, like that the fast food the fast the food drive through yeah which um which is hilarious um it adds adds um nice nice bit of comedy w- with the um the interview and um when he each catches his wife with um the real estate king but but yeah ultimately it, it feels quite hollow in terms of what he's doing because it is selfish because um because it's not shared yes yeah, so, so i i feel like he gets his independence but i feel like this is going to quickly run out of steam you know and that there's got to be more to the story than than this just um so um, kind of pushing away everything that was bad in your your life there's got to be something more to it and this this leads us on to what i believe the the film is kind of really really about and to, to kind of explain that I, I think we need to talk about a plastic bag and a bouquet of roses <laughs> there it is uh, there's there's the money shot He's got he's got his headlight. He's got he's got his he's got his sound bite in. Love it. Carry on. Go on. Mike, mic drop. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm done. That's it. Now, um, that's exit the room. A plastic, a plastic bag and a bouquet of red roses. Boom. Done. Podcast over. <laughs> Podcast done. <laughs> uh, so um uh, yeah, I mean, what's it all about? What's it, what's the rose about and what's the plastic bag about? Um well, for me uh, the the rose is is superficiality. It's um, the rose is a seductive seductive thing that tempts us into action. It's vivid, strong in color and contrast, and it demands your your attention. But roses are though popular and expensive. They're common. They're they're easy to buy and easy to give, and ultimately they die. This is um, superficiality. So. If you think about the rose, it's it's all, all the way throughout the film, um, from from the start of the film when Carolyn is um, pruning her roses, um, all the way to um, fantasizing about um, Angela. It's Angela, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and, and in a way, I, I feel like Carolyn and Angela are the Rose. Um, it, you like you you can correct me if you don't think this is is right, but um, Angela is the pretty young Rose um, at this this point in her life. Ultimately, a superficial um, representation of beauty. Um, Carolyn is, is trying to live a life like the prune rose adorned in her home. Um, Caroline is warning us that if we continue to seek beauty in common places and satisfaction in material goods, our flowers will fade and become bitter and dis- disenchanted. Carolyn maybe was um, something that was um, interesting and um, full of life before. She's turned to this superficial life of, you know, again, having this beautiful home, presenting success much like the real estate king says i was going to say yeah um, like because there's a you know he's when they when they meet to, um for the first time that at that function he says um he is it he believes that in order to be successful you must project an image of success at all times and she completely eats it up doesn't she so yeah she loves it exactly so she is basically she is um if you're saying that angela is the the kind of rose in its present form you know she's the she's the superficial representation of beauty that's what carolyn is striving to be she she wants to be the rose because the rose is that image of if of of like perfection if you like and she she wants to project that so she's kind of like searching for this um she's searching for this kind of you know the success that she can then present upon herself so yeah she's kind of um but yeah it's all it's all about like i said it's all about presenting the idea or the image of success whether that in whatever form that may take it's yes it's interesting in a way i I feel like lester and carolyn in some way they have those um things in common it's kind of like carolyn maybe she was this um kind of young virile um interesting girl when she, she was um younger um as she gets older maybe her looks fade and she gets pulled into this world of believing that you know success in, in life is is what she is the image that she is projecting and she's just on this like kind of treadmill and um, doing that but but lester is kind of after the wrong things as well um you know afterwards neither of them are interested in in, in relationships and um kind of re-establishing the, the kind of family bonds that at at some stage you, you want to believe that they, they had. So so ultimately, the, I think there's this um, really interesting um, dynamic between appearances, so what, what we're shown and, um, or what we show to other people, and then the true self and what's inside. So I think all of the characters kind of feed into this and they, they they communicate this um, as a theme. So, if you think about appearances, um, you've got Lester Burnham who um, hates hates appearances. He, he's really cynical when it comes to to this, um, and and he's he's probably seeking his true self. Um, you've got Carolyn Burnham who wor- worships appearances, um, but she's losing her true self. Um, Jane again hates appearances. She's finding her her true self through her relationship with Ricky. You've got Angela Hayes, who is all appearance, but doesn't know her true self. Um, and then you've got Colonel Fitz, who um, hides behind this facade, this appearance of um, a colonel in the army. And um, 
he, he's also hiding his true self. So you've got the, these two dynamics between um, who you really are and who you want other people to see you as. Yeah, and I think I think what's really interesting is that, um, like I said, almost the thing that the thing that kicks off Lester's journey if you like into his kind of midlife crisis or his journey of discovery whatever you want to call it is when he meets Ricky who actually of all of them is kind of the only person within that kind of core group of characters who presents himself to be who he knows he actually is so there's no like you know he doesn't he doesn't put on an appearance to be something he's not he knows who he is and what his identity is and that's who he presents so you've got this really interesting kind of um, mix of characters who, like you said, they've got, there's this kind of like dichotomy of who they present themselves to be and who they actually are. And then the one thing that kicks off this whole um, cycle of, you know, chaos and everything that, everything that ends up happening is when one of those meets this young kid who actually knows who he is and presents himself to be just that. So I think it's a really interesting um, kind of dynamic that, all these characters go through and they're all like swirling mm. around this one guy this one young guy who kind of is already there and what's interesting is uh, ricky is the the weird one yeah yeah, yeah exactly out of, out of everyone he's a strange one yeah he's he's the one he's the one they look at and go you know what that angela earlier when you know when she's talking to jane about him mentions the fact that he was in a mental institution and you know that you know makes jokes about him being a murderer and blah 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 and you know his um his his dad thinks he's kind of an oddball and yeah it's funny how he's he's kind of the one person who's the truest representation of himself but everyone everyone thinks he's a freak um well yeah, yeah i think um and angela even um calls him that calls him a freak and um jane's response and at that point i think she gets it i think she's starting to understand what's really interesting is this um this naked scene between jane and uh, ricky so he he turns the camera on on her and she feels uncomfortable in the gaze of the camera and f- feels naked when she turns it back on him he feels comfortable and that's just like a representation of him feeling comfortable within himself she she, she starts to understand this that that she's been taught what appearances are she's been taught to look good she's you know like um even her mother um, says so like, oh, Jane, are you trying to look unattractive today? Um, his her best friend says there's there's nothing worse than looking ordinary or, or something like that. But towards the end, she starts to really understand her 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 inner self, and I think she says something like, um, "A freak." Well, well, if, if he he is, then so am I, and we'll always be freaks and never like other people. And you'll never be a freak because you're too perfect. Yeah, I think that's a great line. I think you're right. That's where like Jane's kind of fully discovered or realized who she is. And she's just, you know, she is just not trying to hide it anymore. And that's it. She kind of, you know, that's that like explosion of expression where she's like, well, yeah, if he's a freak, I'm a freak. And I think that's a great line. Go fuck yourself, psycho. Hey, shut up, bitch. Jane is a freak. Well, then so am I. We'll always be freaks and we'll never be like other people. And you'll never be afraid because you're just too perfect. So the next thing we need to to speak about is plastic bag. And yep. this plastic bag was probably the most famous plastic bag 
in the early 2000s. And- I'd, I'd go so far as to say not just the most famous plastic bag, just the most famous bag, right? <laughs> <laughs> just, just a quick thought. Other bags that, that had the same notoriety. Santa sack. Santa sack's um, been around for a long time. This plastic bag burst onto the scene in the late in ninety nine and just took the bag world by storm. <laughs> it sounds like you're you're reading out like a um, a nomination for award. <laughs> I am. I think that you know. Let's face it. You know that almost the most famous, the most crucial scene of the film is the bag. Yeah. Why was there? Yeah, yeah. Why was there no award for the bag? But like I joke about it in a way, but you know how like in, sometimes in films like objects can kind of be characters within themselves yeah <laughs> you know like it's you know like it is so important and integral to this this um film and if you don't quite understand it um you don't maybe get the the point of the film so i, I just um, have to say as well before you say i remember i don't know if you remember this but uh, just a little side note um the bag is obviously so influential and famous that do you remember when we were in New York with, with you, Nick, <laughs> and you you had your you had your camera with you your 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 video camera and we were like just make you know we were filming stuff we were making like a little kind of video journal and then all of a sudden you saw a plastic bag swir- swirling around the wind up the side of a building <laughs> you just you just filmed it so you know. It just- it was one of those moments where it just felt like it was um, a minute away from snowing. And there was a, <laughs> to be fair, it was, say? it was February. It was very cold. But I bet you, had you not seen American Beauty, you wouldn't have given that bag a second look. Oh, come on. I've always <laughs> been into flying bags. You know me, Nicholas. Anyway, sorry, for, sorry for distracting you. I just thought I'd remind you of that because I just, that just popped into my head of, uh, of you filming this, this bag swirling up the side of a, of a skyscraper in New York. It was quite... Yeah, beautiful moment, beautiful moment. Anyway, sorry, as you it were. Was. As you were. Um, but but yes, Sam Mendes was actually interviewed about it and he, he had this to say about it. He said, there's a Buddhist notion about the miraculous in the mundane. And I think we certainly live in a culture that encourages us not to look for that. I do like, though, that Ricky says, video is a poor excuse, but it helps me remember because it's not the video he's focused on. It's the experience itself. He's very connected with the world around him. So I think this is really important. He, he does video everything, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because he's always he's like, you know, there's a scene earlier when he's filming the dead bird and he films Jane a lot and stuff. So yeah, it's like kind of, and when you when you see in his in his bedroom, um, obviously his walls are lined with um, like videotapes and stuff of stuff he's recorded. That guy's been busy. He has been busy. But I, I feel like this actually has a, a quite a nice parallel to modern day life because obviously we go around nowadays with a, a, a camcorder in our pocket and we film things with the idea of showing and this is what this film is all about isn't it it's about appearances and um kind of placing appearances and what we show above real authentic moments so if the the plastic bag it represents an authentic moment um that happens in his life where he felt connected with the world um this you know with this buddhist notion of um amazing things within the the ordinary then what we do on a daily basis with instagram with um snapchat with um all of these 
kind of devices and applications we we show what other people want to, to see as opposed to what's genuine and real in our lives yeah well it's um i think that that's i forget i can't think where it's where it comes from now so uh, i actually um that yeah there's a there's a reminds me of when i went to um you know um city in color the musician dallas green i went to see him i went to see i've seen him a few times actually and i think every single time i've seen him he kind of does this thing where he says uh, for one song he just picks a song during his set and he says you know for one song i'm just going to ask everyone in the audience please put your phones away and just don't record anything for the net for this one song he said because we spend so much time trying to record every moment that we forget to experience it so and i and i, th- and I that when you said that there about you know the it, you, you're absolutely right you know there's so much focus on showing and presenting this idea of what we're doing but because like i said everyone is filming and photographing everything nowadays that actually sometimes you should just not worry about recording it and showing everyone else it's about living the experience and i think yeah when i um when 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 dallas green did that in his live performance and i think for the most part the audience respected it and they all turned their phones off and stuff and particularly because some people will go to a gig and they'll just video the, the entire thing from start to finish and you think you've not even watched the musician or listened to the music you've just focused on your account but i think that it kind of did made me made me think of that and you think oh yeah that, I mean, how many times do we do we go and we see something but actually we don't see it we see it through our camera phone or something because you're looking at the screen of the photo you want to take rather than just taking it in yourself and i think you're right the fact that when in that scene in the film where ricky is showing jane the video and he's and as he's talking about it he kind of gradually gets more and more kind of emotional and you can see he's got tears in his eyes and he kind of says i think it's the line he says something like there's sometimes I feel like there's so much beauty in the world I can't take it and he's like clearly reliving that moment of when he let's play the clip let's play, let's the, play clip. the clip but he's almost like reliving that moment of when he experienced that for that he said for nearly 15 minutes so yeah what a, what a, what a brilliant moment video's a poor excuse I know but it helps me remember I need to remember Sometimes there's so much beauty in the world. I feel like I can't take it. And my heart is just going to cave in. Yeah. And I think we all have these moments in our lives and we um, we value them, value them less, unfortunately, than the selfie, than the, the image, than, um, you know, having, <laughs> having a big butt or like abs or, um, you know, these superficial things in life. But I mean, I remember when I was in Bali, um, I was, I, I was out early in the morning because that's when I would go out and um, do some photography and so, so it was maybe like 6am not a lot of people were around and there was this one woman in the street I turned right on a, on a junction and she was just there in front of me and we locked eyes and she smiled and I remember like 
feeling like incredibly emotional about that. And I, I don't know why that was, but that was special. It was real. And it's something that I will remember. I will always remember that. When I think about the superficial things that I have done or the superficial things that I have shown, I don't remember these things because they weren't for me. They were for other people. Yeah, I think I think that's I think you've said you've said there, you know, it, you do it's for other people. And I think that that is probably um a bit of a progression from what I think the film is about, um which we'll come to on a bit later. But yeah, I think I think there is there's a real there's a real relevance message. There's a relevant message in there for today as well because you know like like Sam Mendes was talking about the fact that the video is a is a poor like representation of it because it's about the experience itself but i think that's still that's very that's very relevant almost more relevant today than it's ever been because we you know because a lot of people like it is all about presenting this idea of the perfect life that you have you know everyone wants to no one no one let's say you want to you want to take a photo of somewhere you've been or something you've done um no one takes one photo they have to take several to get the right photo because you know mm. it has to you have to look right and it has to be you know it has to be you have to be happy with how you look in the photo and it's actually not really about the experience of being and and experiencing whatever it is you're doing it's about getting the right photo of it so you can show other people right and I, so i think i think what sam mendes says about that scene i think that's was more relevant today than it than it's ever been because everything is switched on now everything everything is broadcast isn't it um so i think yeah i think that's a really it's a really good scene and obviously um it, it's got a very clear message and i think that's still very relevant today even though there's some things that are very you know they've moved on a lot from where from the times that the film was made in so i, th- I feel like we should talk about lester um because he's, he's our main pro- protagonist so lester there's there's three stages of the film in terms of lester so so lester when he's asleep um he's in the prison you can see that when he's at, at his job you, um, it frames it quite nicely he's got like the um the numbers on on his screen and they're forming like a prison bar, um, bars even that first um sequence um in, in his house when he's like kind of looking outwards into this like superficial um life where his wife is pruning the roses and talking to the neighbors and having kind of superficial conversations He's kind of like separate to all of this, um, to, to the world. Um, then you've got Lester kind of pursuing life through through desire, really, um, where he quits his job and um, starts working out and, again, lives this quite um, ascetic quality life. And then the third section, which is probably the most interesting and um, in terms of the movie, it's it's incredible. The last... Um, third of the movie is is amazing if you think like the the film is kind of taking you up um slowly that's when it starts dropping you down um like almost like a roller coaster and you're just in it for the rides and for the last third um the cinematography is great in this film but i think the music really kind of just pulls you along into this last third i thought it was fantastic yeah i think the um, score, i think the score because also it's 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 a really iconic score, isn't it? Even when they use these kind of like slightly unusual sounds and these kind of quite not uncomfortable but kind of weird sort of like 
it's like a weird you know that for example the scene when he's uh, dreaming he, and he walks into the bathroom and Angela's in the bathroom and there's that like kind of weird like plinky plonky kind of slightly it sounds almost like off key sort of thing. But yeah I think I think the score is is fantastic I think it's, it's so iconic and it does a great job and it, it kind of yeah it you really get it you really go on a journey with the music through the film as it, as it progresses and I, I agree I think the music all the way through is great but in the final third when it kind of all comes together it, it really starts to kind of like lift it it really does and um, I, th- I think that's where we ca- get a real cathartic ending um, before we, we're kind of like following this guy who's obviously like living his his kind of um, his best life in quotation marks. But, you know, th- there's a judgment on him because of the way he's doing it and what he's actually pursuing. He's still very like cynical, very um, childish at times. But it's it's that last third when you, you could probably argue he becomes a, a, awaken, and he, he gets to the point where he realizes that Angela is not so, something to be had. He he almost kind of cherishes her. There's there's a real kind of care for her when he realizes that she she wasn't what he expected her to be. He he almost wants to look after her, and, and he kind of like swaddles her in in, in a towel. He, he he begins to to have real self respect, um, which is is nice to see, and and probably starts to see himself. And um, there's a moment where I think Angela asks him, "How are you doing?" And he says, "Wow, it's, it's been a while since someone has actually asked me that." And maybe maybe it was something that he'd never really asked himself as well. I think he says, yeah, I feel, I'm feeling um, I'm doing really good. Yeah, he says, I'm great. And he just I'm gets great. it. Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. And you you really want want to believe that he's he's reached a, a different stage of his life there. So there's this idea in the Buddhist religion of um, Satori, um, which is literally to kind of... Um, it's it's actually a Japanese term. Um, it's it's um, to kind of realize or um, I'm kind of awake, as opposed to what many people might think. It's not a special state of mind, so it's not something that um, you kind of like reach nirvana. You're like a, a, a special kind of um, person to, to reach this. Um, it's it's not that at all. It's if anything, it's a simply a return to the original natural condition of the human mind. So if you think about us without smart devices, us without TV sets, um, you know, a real kind of peered back version of like who we are as humans, um, where we actually feel things and see things. Um, and, and I guess that's and reflected in the plastic bag. You know, you could walk past that plastic bag. Um, and I'm sure many people would. But if you're in that state of awakening, then then you're connected with with the world. Um, so yeah, I, I believe he kind of gets to that point, and um, it, I, I really want to finish with what he says right at the end. And it's a bit of a long quote, but we'll play it now. I, I think it really just um, ties everything up really nicely. I guess I could be pretty pissed off about what happened to me. But it's hard to stay mad when there's so much beauty in the world. Sometimes I feel like I'm seeing it all at once, and it's too much. My heart fills up like a balloon that's about to burst. And then I remember 
to relax and stop trying to hold on to it. And then it flows through me like rain and I can't feel anything but gratitude for every single moment of my stupid little life. You have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm sure. But don't worry. You will someday. What a quote. What a bit of writing. It is great. And I actually think, um, well, obviously, the whole the whole starting point for this discussion was American Beauty shows us or reminds us, not shows us, reminds us that there is beauty in the everyday in the commonplace and i think what a, what a great way of, of summing it up um and i think you know that 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 the way that finishes is um like you said he goes through this journey of thinking he you know thinking he wants something different to what he's got kind of going after it and then actually he comes full circle and comes back to the point where he realizes who he is what's important and i think there's just before just before that that kind of quote starts there's that great little moment where he um after after he's had the the opportunity to have Angela, if you like, and he kind of has that moment and, and all has has this moment of realization, and he's put a, a, you know the the blanket around her. They've they've had a little conversation, and then there's, he picks up that photo of him and Carolyn and Janie, and he just goes, "Man, oh man!" And he's got this amazing smile, and he just looks so truly like happy and almost overcome with joy. And it's like at that moment he's realized that photo of just his family that is the real like beauty that you like that he's always that he's been searching for and like you said earlier he's he chooses to not try and like repair those relationships he chooses to go for something different um which is again I'll come on to in a second what I think the film is is about like in terms of the story but yeah it ends in a really great place and that's a really nice little kind of quote or little mini monologue to finish with i think it sums it all up like, perfectly and um that that moment i guess is like death his death face yeah <laughs> um um ricky loves that because <laughs> <laughs> R- ricky ends up um on, i think on the um kind of looking from the kitchen tables perspective just like like it's just another plastic bag for him he's like <laughs> he's, he's like let me get my, my video camera he's like this is even better than the pigeon <laughs> <laughs> he loves death <laughs> um um but but yeah it's it's really nice and um you know part of me um f- feels it's a shame that he didn't get to repair his relationships with his um daughter and his his wife this this a real kind of like the scene that kind of like really gets to me is when she goes into the um the closet and she wraps herself in his clothes and you're like fuck there was something there there was something there they were they were just looking in different directions but there was actually something there and i i think the precursor to that was um the the scene with the the beer when um he's at home and he's kind of trying to seduce um his wife and she, she's into it she, he's talking about you know what happened to that girl who used to flash um was it like television news helicopters, helicopters. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah news news helicopters 
what happened to that um, um girl who used to fake seizures just to get some attention and you, you realize they've become this uh, married couple and, and that's a fear for everyone i think like um in any kind of relationship you know you've got to really work at your relationships you can't just um allow them to kind of do their own thing because you'll get yourself into that situation where you you don't even know each other anymore but it was really nice to see it at the end there him recognizing her and she recognized him and it really really got to me um really um i cried i'll I'll, um i'll be honest at the end i I had a little i shed a little tear well i I think this is it right because it that's what that's why this this hits so brilliantly is because you've got this um you've got this arc that 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 lester goes on and a lot you know a lot of the characters go on a journey through the film but he gets to this point where he has this moment of realization and then bang it's gone it's all over and the the interesting question is right if that doesn't happen if he has that moment and then he lives do you think he then goes and makes the effort to repair the relationship with his wife because obviously as, as well at this point jane has decided she's leaving right so you know the the big question mark over this is we be, we probably believe that had he lived he would he would have tried to repair the relationship with carolyn and he would have tried to repair his relationship with jane because you know earlier in the film he says oh jane we used to be pals what happened would he try and go for that but it uh, even if it, you know it may be it may it may have been too late and then all of a sudden it is too late and that's the tragedy of it he has this moment of realization where where he gets to the point where he realizes there is beauty in the everyday and in everything that he has, and it before and by the time he realizes it's too late because he's lost it all, and that that's the real tragedy, and that's why it really it, it kind of lands, it lands really effectively because it's this moment you think, oh, brilliant, he's got you know he's he's come full circle, he's realized who he is, what he wants, what he needs, and bang, it's all over, it's it's gone, but in that final voiceover there is some catharsis there as well because he's you know he says i could be pissed off about what happened to me but it's hard to be mad when there's so much beauty in the world and that's such a like a that almost makes it more tragic because <laughs> he's had this like incredible realization you think man god is, is is that what it takes is that what it takes to really truly understand the beauty of the world that we live in it's it's a really i think it's a great ending and i think you come out of it with there there's a huge amount of emotion just like you know, just kind of jumping off the screen. All over. it's, it's. I think it's a really great ending to the film, and it, it, I agree. It kind of, it's really, it's a really emotional finale to the film. Yeah, and to to that end, like I, I feel it's cathartic emotionally. You understand it, and you're there. You're there with them, and you're there with the characters. I think the key thing is when you leave the film, um, is whether or not you come away with a le- the lesson. And uh, that, as you say, it lands. I felt like it really landed with me. It's like it might be um, too late for him, but we've got an opportunity to love, live our lives better if we just kind of put our maybe put our devices down a little bit, think less about um, h- how to kind of manipulate life through um, our own image, and really just be there, be present with our family with our friends um see see the world not just um kind of gravitate towards um the rose i guess yeah well i think and i think this is it, we've almost come like full circle to come back towards 
towards the start of the film because I think the the way the reason the lesson, if you like, is so clear to me for this, and I and I think you know when we talked about her, we had some different perspectives on it slightly, but we we kind of agreed on a lot of the stuff, but there were some slightly different um, threads to that discussion that that we focused on. But I think I I'm completely in agreement with you this time where that this film shows us or reminds us that there is beauty in the everyday and to look for that because if if you like for me this film in terms of story is all about people yearning or searching for beauty right and but not not beauty in the in the kind of like aesthetic sense because whether it be beauty power respect affection all of those things right because and i think beauty is almost the best representation of that because you know the the kind of the, the there's always been like an acknowledgement that the most beautiful people are the most successful. Um, so be- beauty almost represents the whole idea of success and power and wealth and, and being kind of, a, a, you know, at the top of the pyramid, if you like. Important. Yeah, important. Important and relevant. And, and, all, and all of the characters, apart from Ricky, which we've discussed, because he kind of already is, he knows who he is and, he, and he's kind of, he's comfortable and, and happy with, with that. But all the other characters are searching for something. So Lester is during the film, he ends up searching for beauty in a superficial sense because he's kind of pursuing this rose, right? Um, Carolyn is looking for success or the image of success um, and not necessarily power, but sort of success and respect. Um, You've got Angela, who is completely obsessed with kind of not being ordinary and being extraordinary and beautiful. And they're all kind of like searching for this idea of beauty in some sort of way. But by the end of it, They've all gone through this journey and they've all come to the point where we realize actually that is not what we all need or want or what should be important because those things are the superficial beauty. So the bunch of roses you talked about earlier, but what we actually should all be looking for is the plastic bag is the the beautiful moments that you don't even realize are there. So I know you just, you know, said, go out and see the world, experience the world. And it doesn't even have to be experience the world, you know, around the other side of the world from where you are. It can just be outside your back door, if you like. And there's so many, there's so many beautiful little things that we all experience every day. And I think this film does a really good job of just reminding us to just don't forget those things, you know, make sure you pay attention to the small stuff, to the little stuff that you think might mean nothing. But actually, if you just take a moment, it will, it, it will mean something to you. So I think, I think, yeah, I think this film, it has a very clear kind of starting point where all the characters start start and i think as i said earlier that whole idea of like we all are obsessed with presenting this image of something now with with showing rather than experiencing and almost these these characters are starting with that but by the end of it i think the lesson lands perfectly that there is so much beauty in the everyday and the small and the the mundane if you like that we 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 cannot forget that that has to we 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 have to hold on to that 100 percent. and um yeah i think i think um that's about us. I mean, it, it doesn't feel like we've talked about the film so much. It feels like we've um, we've we've talked a lot about um, the lesson more than the actual film. But I think that's fine. Um, you know, the film's there for everyone to watch. It's on Netflix at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> uh, um, but it's it's a fantastic film, and I'm I'm hoping that I personally can take some lessons out of it um, and try to stay stay in that moment um so so that that term again um satori satori the japanese um idea of being awake awoken um one of the things it does say is um satori is is actually quite easy 
um, to achieve, but it's difficult to maintain. So, um, yeah, I, I guess um, parting kind of words are just um, for everyone to just try to remain present and um, try to put their cellular devices down a little bit and be with the, the people that they love um, and listen and see um, with with your true true eye, not um, look for something that you're told to look for. Yeah, I think I fully, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, and I think that's a, that's a lesson that we should all take forward. So, um, talking about moving forward, I guess what what are we going to be um, talking about on the next episode? So it's my choice again, isn't it, for film this time? Um, so I mean, it's no pressure, no pressure. No, it's what I've already decided. So next time we are going to be talking about what is my favourite animated film of all time, How to Train Your Dragon, and the okay. We've I feel like for the for, for her and for American Beauty, we went pretty deep. We talked. We've talked about love. We've talked about beauty. We've talked about all sorts of quite quite deep stuff. This time, um, I'm just going to say it quite straightforwardly. How to Train Your Dragon just reminds us that dogs are the freaking best. And that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple as that. Um, it's going to be a very interesting um, episode. Um, N- Nicholas owns a lovely um, dog called Artie. I own nothing alive. Um, but, but what I will say <laughs> as well is uh, he, he's not just a lovely dog. He is the best dog in the world. But And I, and I, I think you can support that because... You never used to like dogs. You're not a dog person, but you love him. He's converted you, hasn't he? He has fully converted you. Like when people say, oh, who's your best friend? I say, Artie first, Nick, no <laughs> second. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with that. Honestly, I'm okay with that. It's great when I go around to Nick's house because it's just me, me, Artie and Nick just hanging out, bros on the sofa. <laughs> Lovely time. Well, so yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about next time. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful film. Um, and yeah I'm looking forward to talking about it so yeah I guess uh, thanks for listening and we will see you next time awesome bye bye see you guys bye bye and one last thing if you could subscribe to the podcast and give us a five star view that'd be great